Thank you, Father, for all the joy that we have as the Christmas season draws to an end. As we enter the new year, I pray that you would resolve to allow your spirit to lead us into a closer relationship with you and with each other. Father, in the moments ahead, may your word, through the power of your spirit, work to conform your people to the image of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For over 3,000 years, ever since the time of the Babylonians, people have been making New Year's resolutions. And as the new year approaches, maybe you've thought about eating less or exercising more or being more kind or some other improvement. Um, it's funny how we, we remind ourselves at the start of each new year what we should have been doing all the previous year. But that's why we make New Year's resolutions. And that's why we, people have been doing it for over 3,000 years. Now, one of the most popular, of course, is to get healthy, get healthy, which is why the local fitness center will look different on Tuesday than it does today. But the best time to join a gym is in February when it looks like this. <laughs> because statistically... 15% of the people who join a health center in January are gone by February. 80% are gone by April. But that doesn't mean New Year's isn't a good time to take, us, take stock of our lives and to consider some changes. But the changes we make must have the proper motivation. If it's self-directed, then the change or the resolution is difficult to sustain. But if our motivation is to glorify God, then we have the power of his spirit that can continue to lead us back into renewing our efforts along the lines of that resolution. So on this New Year's, I want to introduce you to a young man who resolved to honor God in all that he did. So he made resolutions based on scripture, and his approach is a helpful model as we're thinking about potential resolutions we would want to make this year. So I invite you to open your Bible to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. I'm going to begin in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noon day. This passage was prominent in this young man's diary because it was the underpinning of all of the resolutions that he made. Now, I've titled this message, 
resolved because that's the word that Jonathan Edwards used to begin each of his 70 resolves that he made, his 70 resolutions. And in the moments ahead, I'm going to introduce you to this remarkable man, and we'll consider his resolutions in three categories, personal development, relational health, and spiritual growth. And from these three resolutions, I'm going to suggest three practical resolutions for you to consider in 2024. Well, let me introduce Jonathan Edwards to you. He was born in East Windsor, Connecticut in 1703. He was the fifth of 11 children of Timothy and Esther Edwards and the only boy. Esther homeschooled the children, and Jonathan was a bright young man. He entered Yale College at the age of 13. He graduated in three years, then stayed on two additional years for some sort of post-graduation work. At age 19, he was assigned by the Congregational Church to a church in New York City that had just gone through a church split. It was in this difficult situation that Jonathan Edwards developed his 70 resolves to guide his life and to support him in this difficult work. Now, after two years in New York, Edwards moved to Northampton, Massachusetts, and he took over the church that was founded by his grandfather, Solomon Stoddard, a fairly famous Puritan preacher. And the first great awakening that began in 1737 started in Jonathan Edwards Church. And it quickly spread up and down the East Coast and then across the Atlantic to Scotland and then finally to England and the rest of Europe. And the first great awakening changed the Protestant church in a fundamental way. Prior to that, Christian worship was rather ritualistic and formal, somewhat cold. That's where the term frozen chosen comes from. But with the First Great Awakening and its spirit-empowered movement that happened at that time, the church changed to one of, of a more personal faith expressed by the power of the spirit to bring faith in Jesus Christ and the outward work then became evangelism. The first great awakening was a true revival by the Holy Spirit, and it began under the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. But in 1750, the church fired him over a dispute on how to fence the communion table something we just did. But graciously, Edwards stayed on two more years in that church until they found his replacement. And then he left and became a missionary to the Mohican Indians on the western frontier of the United States, which at that time was western New York State. Six years later, 
he returned to accept the presidency of Princeton University. One year later, a smallpox epidemic broke out. And Edwards, wanting to show that the newly developed vaccine was safe, volunteered to be inoculated. But he was overdosed, and he died of smallpox on March 22, 1758, at the age of 55. Psalm 37 was important to Edwards, and it should be important to us as well, because when we delight in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our hearts, because the new heart that he gives us has the same desires as God's heart. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God shows us what is good, and he gives us a new heart that's alive to him so that our deepest desires then become one of walking humbly with him and to desire the things he desires. Edward saw this as the keynote in verse 4 of, of Psalm 37, and he made it central to his life's resolutions to link what his desires were to God's desires. So with this in mind, let's look at his resolves and the supporting Bible verses that can guide our thinking in the new year ahead. As I said, there were 70. I'm reducing them down to three groups of three, beginning with the personal development, and the focus that Edwards had on stewardship, health, and sanctification. So let's begin with stewardship. Resolved, number 32, to be strictly and firmly faithful to whatever God entrusts to me. Edwards knew that everything comes from God, and he expects us God, that is, to use these things wisely. John, uh, John 3, 27, John the Baptist said this. He said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And we're familiar with James, James 1, 17, where he writes, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in, him, in whom there is no shadow or changing. So all that we have is really only on loan from God. And he expects us to use his stuff wisely. Now, we often think of stewardship as in the narrow sense of our money. But stewardship extends to all of our possessions, including our time and our talents. Edwards recognized this, and he resolved to use everything in his possession to honor God, who is the giver of gifts. Personal care is another form of stewardship. That's resolve number 20, to maintain the wisest and healthiest practices in my eating and drinking. Now, the wisest and healthiest practices is often debated by Christians, because we want to be obedient to God's commands on the one hand, but we also recognize the freedom that we have in Christ 
on the other hand. But our default setting is usually law. So many Christians then prefer some sort of a kind of a legalism, but some others prefer the exercise of our liberty. And this goes on and on in various discussions. I grew up in a very pietistic, liberal, or legalistic church. But I celebrate some friends who grew up in, in uh, some, some other churches who didn't have that sort of pietism that I experienced in my youth. But Paul provides a biblical balance for us in 1 Corinthians 6.12 when he writes this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And therein is the key. Paul expands on this in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. He writes this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Then in chapter 8, Paul gets specific. He gives this command. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Do not cause another brother or sister to stumble because of your perceived freedom in some area of, of, Christ, uh, of uh, Christian practice, not Christian doctrine, but Christian practice. So we have liberty in Christ, but we must use our freedom responsibly. God wants us to use his good gifts. Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes 10. He says, a feast is made for laughter and wine makes merry. But good stewardship includes moderation in all things and respect for those who have a different opinion about the breadth of the freedom that we have to, to use God's good gifts in this creation as Christians. The third resolution in this category is personal development. Uh, a personal development is sanctification. Sanctification. That's the big word that says the process of God making us more and more holy or conform to, to God's design for, for humanity. Resolve number 56. Never to give up nor even slacken up in my fight with my own corruptions, no matter how successful or unsuccessful I may be. And I love the admission there of unsuccessfulness in our fight. God's purpose in saving fallen people is to shape them for eternity. God has promised his son a spotless bride. God has promised his son an eternal kingdom filled with people of righteousness. And since God has promised his son this bride, the church, and this kingdom populated by the bride, 
Since that promise is from the Father to the Son, God's work in sanctification in us will not fail. It will not cease. We can scrunch it down, but we cannot snuff it out. God will fulfill his promises through our spirit-empowered sanctification so we can be sure it will happen. No matter how successful or unsuccessful we may be in our own, in our own uh, sight. Now, the key verse here is 2 Corinthians 7.1. It says, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. In the fear of God. That means the awesome wonder of God. And in Psalm 57, too, the psalmist writes this, I cry out to God most high, the God who fulfills his purpose for me. And in Philippians 1, 6, we all know this verse. I am sure of this, Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Consider the benediction that I like to use often, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and keep your body and spirit blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who has promised is faithful, and he will do it. He will do it. And finally, Romans 8.29, that golden chain of salvation for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus Christ may be the firstborn among countless brothers and sisters. Do you see the promise there? The promise from the father to the son and the promise from the father to the son includes us. So the sanctification work of God the Spirit in us will continue because it's part of the promise from the father to the son regardless of our success or our failure. So if the resurrected Jesus is to be the firstborn, and he is, then God must complete the sanctification process in us, and he will surely do it. These promises and the work of the Holy Spirit gave Jonathan Edwards the resolve to never give up or even slacken in his efforts to fight his sin. And I think when we remind ourselves of these promises and allow the Spirit to do his work to conform us to the image of Christ, we will find that this resolution is one that we can keep because it's not self-focused, it's God-focused. It's not self-generated. It's Holy Spirit-empowered. God will continue to work on us until we're home with the Lord. We can never give up because God, the Spirit, will never give up on us. That brings us to our first fill-in. And I want to explain the the, uh, papers in your bulletin a little bit because... I hope you would use these. I used mine all last year. I put this one, 
which has got basically the blanks filled in, in the front of my Bible. And you'll discover in a few minutes when we get to Bible reading that I read my Bible five days a week. So every day I was able to refresh myself on this list. Edwards went through his 70 every week. Our task is a bit easier. So this one is for your Bible. This is the fill-in that you can use this morning. And on the back of the fill-in for your handy reference are the Bible verses that underlie the basis for these three resolutions. So here's our first one. First fill-in. Resolved, I will never give up on my efforts to live for Christ because he will never give up on me. And now you know why. He will never give up on me or you. So what does this say about our battles with sin? Because we've resolved to put off those sins we hate. That's what resolutions are all about on New Year's. But it's like the gym membership. It's just hard to maintain sometimes, isn't it? We fall back in. So what does this say? What what we see here is that the eternal, unbreakable promises of the Father to the Son are being fulfilled by the Spirit's work in us, and that then strengthens our resolve to never give up on our efforts to live for Christ because we know he will never give up on us. So if there's no other resolution that you take away from here this morning, Take this one. Take this one. Because God has willed and purposed for you to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, that's Edward's first category, personal development. His second category is relational health. I found it interesting today that in our Sunday school, R.C. Sproul said, When was the last time you heard a sermon about gossip? Kind of a rhetorical question. I thought to myself, well, for our congregation, it's not going to be long. It's going to be about 30 minutes because the personal development includes the issue of gossip. Personal development. There are 13 resolutions, relational health, I'm sorry. There's 13 resolutions here in this area that we can summarize with three of them, beginning with number 58. Resolved not only to refrain from an air of dislike, fretfulness, and anger in conversations, but also to exhibit an air of love, cheerfulness, and graciousness. Resolution 58 is about being peaceable. That's an odd thing to say in this society, isn't it? Because people fight about everything, and they fight about nothing. They fight from the highway to the checkout line to being online. And in every case, people seem to have forgotten how to be nice. And that becomes clear when the guy with the bumper sticker that says, practice random acts of kindness cuts you off in traffic. 
We even have words, new words now for this. Oh, he threw shade on him. Oh, he clapped him back. We're grieved over the rudeness we see, and we wish for change, but where do we begin? We begin with ourselves. We begin with ourselves. Proverbs 15.1 is a good start. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, in a, in a me-first culture, it's tempting to lash out at the mistreatment. We learned a lot about that from Sproul this morning. But as Christians, we should resolve to carefully choose our words and speak in a gracious manner, especially, especially when we feel wronged. Colossians 4.6 is the key verse here. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious speech is what is most needed in stressful situations. Kind words calm nerves, and they even build friendships. Colossians 4.6 is not a suggestion. It's a command. Let your speech always be gracious. Because it's a command because it builds the platform for our relationships with people, and it opens the door for us to be able to share Christ. Now, evangelism is everyone's worst nightmare, it seems, but it should be every Christian's favorite task because it's not what we do. It's what the Spirit does in the heart of the hearer that's going to make a difference. But still, to have the platform on which to speak about the hope we have in Christ, you need to have gracious speech seasoned with salt. That's the truth in there in all situations, especially when we feel that we've been wronged. And even if it's not the quite r- the right time for evangelism, gentle and gracious words are an ointment that's needed to build healthy personal relationships. Resolved number 14 is also important. Resolved, never do anything out of revenge. When we're wrong, we're tempted to seek revenge. But revenge is one of the earliest sins. Revenge is why Cain killed his brother. And even when served cold, it's a dish that never brings satisfaction. The key verse is Romans 12, 19. Paul writes, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So when tempted to seek revenge, remember how Jesus reacted in the face of the greatest injustice. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2, 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him 
who judges justly. Vengeance belongs to God because the creation belongs to God. It is his, and he will repay, he says. And whether it be in the near term or in in the future or at the end of time, it's his to avenge. Now, it's popular to blame nations or ideologies or religions for the injustice and the oppression that we we see in this world. And to some extent, that's true. But ultimately, injustice is a problem of the heart. It's a heart issue. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the line between good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties. It passes through the center of every human So until Christ returns, we will see, especially as Christians, more and more injustice. Now, our part is to not only refrain from anger or to do anything out of revenge, but also to react as our Savior would want to, by showing an air of love, cheerfulness, and graciousness in our dealings with others, just as Jonathan Edwards resolved to do. Edward's third resolution speaks about gossip. Now, this is a hot topic in our time, isn't it? Resolution 31 resolved never to say anything at all against anybody except when it would do so is to be consistent with the highest standards of Christian honor and love and against the strictest tests of the golden rule. What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Didn't your mother tell you that? The key verse is Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who is my rock and my redeemer. It's good advice. It's what your mother told you. My mother did. Never say anything about someone you wouldn't say to their face. And that's especially true today, isn't it? In our age of social media, never write anything, never text anything that you would be unwilling to write, text, or say to the person. Now you've heard a sermon about gossip. Jesus said this. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, The mouth speaks. So on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they spoke. That one always scared me. But it's a warning that's intended to remind us that gracious speech seasoned with with salt, that a kind word turns away wrath, and that we should never say anything about anyone except when to do so is consistent with the highest standards of Christian honor and love and against the strictest test of not doing anything to anyone I wouldn't want them to do to me.
So it's one thing. Oh, here's our second, our, 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 our second um, fill-in then. Everything I say will come from a heart of love, a spirit of humility, and a desire to honor Christ. James wrote that our tongue can set on fire the course of our life. And it's one thing to live in a world of spoken words, but it's another to live in a world of sound bites. Sound bites are about the worst thing that can ever happen to you. People are afraid to ever speak to the media because it turns into sound bites. And it can be then used to sort of portray you as having any opinion that they would like to have. Sometimes it's better to keep quiet and appear to be uninformed rather than to speak and remove all doubt. So Jesus commands us to speak graciously from a heart of love and a spirit of humility, and it's the basis for healthy relationships, and it honors Christ, our rock and our redeemer. And then finally, Edwards made 15 resolutions for his spiritual growth in the areas of confession, devotion, and truth. Confession, devotion, and truth. Confession is the subject of number 68. Resolve to confess honestly to myself all that I find in myself, whether weakness or sin, and if it is something that concerns my spiritual health, I will also confess the whole case to God and implore him for all needed help. I write for a ministry called gotquestions.org, and one question I answer a lot is the question, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm saved? I answer by taking them to John 3. That's where Jesus tells Nicodemus about the work of God, the Spirit, to bring about faith and salvation. And since it's God's work, saving faith cannot be lost by human failure. Then I explain that the evidence of saving faith is confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Now, repentance is a difficult word because it, it's based on a Greek word, metanoia, which means to turn around and go in a different direction. So we repent of those sins that we struggle with, but we oftentimes don't continue in that other direction. We kind of turn back again, don't we? But confession is the important thing because it leads to repentance. The key verse is 1 John 1, 9. One of my favorites, probably one of yours. If it's not, it should be. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I claim that one constantly. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland explains that Jesus is our advocate and our intercessor. The two roles are similar, but they're not the same. An intercessor 
sits between two parties in a dispute to try to mitigate or find some common ground. That's what an intercessor does. But an advocate stands alongside the party to plead the case for the repentance or the forgiveness or the resolution of whatever it is the other party has against them. So Jesus is our, he is our advocate in the, or he is, he is our, our, our intercessor in that he's standing there between us and the Father. But he's our advocate because he then steps beside us to present the evidence for forgiveness. He advocates and he stands beside and he gives the reason. And the faith is the saving faith when we trust that this is what is happening in the heavenly throne room when we confess. If you believe when you confess to God the Father that your prayers of confession are moving through Jesus, who is the advocate that allows us into that throne room to begin with, and that Jesus then steps beside you as your advocate to say to God the Father, forgive them, they are one of mine. I bought them, they have my righteousness, and that is the grounds, Father, for you to forgive them because they are one of mine. If you truly believe that that is the action that's going on in the heavenly throne room, then you have saving faith. Confession is a mark of saving faith. We all question whether or not we're saved. But if you believe that, if you believe in him and what he's doing for you, that's the mark of saving faith. Well, resolution 28 then is then the second step in our growth. So from prayer, confession, repentance, based on faith, resolution 28 is the second step. He says, resolve to study the scriptures so steadily and so constantly and so frequently that it becomes evident, even obvious to myself, that my knowledge of them has grown. This is such an important one. I don't know who your favorite uh, preacher or communicator is in the sort of the Christian sphere, but some of mine, it, you know, I once heard someone, one of mine described as, cut him anywhere and he bleeds scripture. Wouldn't you want to be known by that? That you bleed scripture? With my whole heart, I'm sorry, to study the scripture so steadily, so constantly, so frequently that it becomes evident, even obvious to myself, that my knowledge of them has grown. Now, the basis for this resolution is Psalm 119, verses 10 and 11. With my whole heart, I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The New Year's always brings Bible reading plans. Being a big advocate of Bible reading, I have put Bible reading plans out on the front table for years. 
without a Bible reading plan, it's very difficult to sustain the activity. But consider this. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, to reveal the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Confession then becomes empty unless we have the Word of God in us to show us our need for Christ. Daily faithful Bible reading is the living water that keeps us going. It is the living water that feeds and, and flowers our resolutions to continue to work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling. We should be people that plead Scripture. Plead Scripture. Because confession is empty without the Word of God. And we need the living water to keep our way straight in this crooked world. The final resolution brings all three of these threads together. Resolution 43. Never from this day until the day I die act as if I were in any way my own, but entirely and altogether belong to God and then live in a way agreeable to this reality. There are two key words in this resolution or this resolve from Edwards. Never and reality. Now the reality is we're not our own because we have been bought with a price, bought by the blood of Christ. Your salvation cost God everything. I love the line in Thomas's uh, uh, guide to the study of Galatians we just finished in the home groups, right? He said the entrance fee is minimal, but the annual maintenance fee, maintenance fee will cost you everything. Our salvation, our righteousness, given to us by grace through faith that justifies us in Christ, cost Jesus everything. It cost God everything. His own eternal Son sent by the Father with joy from the Son to live in this fallen world, to fulfill what was failed to be fulfilled by the first Adam. And then it says, with joy, in Hebrews 12, he faced the cross. With joy. Why? Because in paying that ultimate penalty in his human and deific form, he secured the salvation of everyone the Father had given him. That they would be a kingdom of priests in his eternal kingdom of righteousness over which Jesus will reign and his father will be glorified. And at the end of that, he will give it back to his father so that God may be all in all. Key words, never and reality. The reality is that we are bought. The key verse here is Romans 14, 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. That's the reality. 
Now, expressive individualism. That's a term that describes a view that each person has a unique and authentic self that must be expressed to reach personal fulfillment. But that's not reality. It's true, each of us is unique in one sense, but we're all the same in that we are created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. St. Augustine said that we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. We can never find fulfillment by expressing our fallen nature. We are only fulfilled by expressing ourselves as an authentic child of God. So this third resolution is our last fill-in. Resolved to face every challenge, embrace every blessing, and act always with honor, knowing that I belong completely to God through Jesus Christ. I belong completely to God through Jesus Christ. We began with Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, authenticity and fulfillment come when we delight ourselves in the Lord because we are made to find our delight in our Creator. The chief end of man, the first question and answer of the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, the chief end of man is what? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. Edwards understood this, which is why he began his list of resolutions with these words. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for the sake of Jesus Christ. Being sensible. Being sensible means I'm unable to do anything without God's help. And I do humbly entreat him. That's that's the sort of the 18th century word for you know, beg him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions. Now, I won't keep them perfectly, of course, but they are certainly a good start in realigning my life as I've gone through a year in a crooked world again. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. That's the same thing John the Baptist said, isn't it? So we can make common resolutions for New Year's tonight. Not drink and fall down, split my lip again, or get healthier, or be kinder, or stop kicking the cat. There's lots, or you can try something different this year. And if you decide to try any of these that we've discussed, 
please keep in mind that you must abide in Jesus because you cannot do them in your own strength. Now, I preached this message on January 1st last year. And I kept the handout in my Bible, as I explained, and I read it with my daily Bible study. And I reread the three resolutions every day. Resolved, I will never give up on my efforts to live for Christ because he will never give up on me. I will, everything I say will come from a heart of love, a spirit of humility, and a desire to honor Christ and resolve to face every challenge, embrace every blessing, and always act with honor knowing I belong completely to God through Jesus Christ. If that drives our lives, we can be people who find fulfillment in this world regardless of the circumstances because we know that whatever circumstances come our way, those are presented to us by God in his providence to grow us to continue to conform us into the image of Christ. The God of all peace will continue to conform you, to make your body and spirit blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he who is faithful will do it. So if you find that these resolutions fit you, you'll find that the resolutions in the handout fit your Bible, and perhaps you'll join me this year by adopting them. They're challenging, and they're beneficial. They require the power of the Spirit, and they require regularly reading them throughout the year. And they will point you to the gospel and remind you of who you are. And you know what the kicker is? It's cheaper than a health club, and there's never a problem with parking. Let's pray.